Hello, everybody. My name is Rodrigo, and this here is another one of our Ether Talks. This is this Ether Talks uh, is a is a segment of our podcast that exists out of what we usually do, and we usually invite a guest speaker to come on with us and talk to us about something that they feel very passionate about. And today we have Travis Albritton, uh, who is here to talk uh, talk to us about small group leadership. He has actually written a book that you can find on Amazon.com. Uh, call Small Group Leader Secrets. And uh, Travis, why don't you uh, begin by telling us how you got into this topic and why you decided to write a book? That's a great question. <laughs> so, uh, well, first of all, thank you for having me on the podcast. I'm really excited to be here. But small group leadership has been something that I've felt passionate about for a while. Um, I was privileged to, to be a part of a church planting when I was in uh, college. So when I first started my freshman year, there were only 12 people in the whole church. Oh, wow. And uh, three people in the campus ministry. And so, so, and that was really the time in my life where a lot of my spiritual formation took place. I had been a disciple for about two years at that point, but when I went to college, that's really where I started to grow and mature spiritually. And so I saw the value of being in an effective small group right and when I first got there we had uh, someone that was on staff that was helping with the church but then that was right around the 2008-2009 economy collapse here in the US with the real estate market oh wow gotcha yeah and so so after my freshman year we had no one on staff and we were still a church of about 15 and so for the next three years it was just all of us pulling together and trying to figure out how to do church when none of us had quote-unquote formal training to do right. so. Gotcha. Um, but God really blessed it. There were so many things that we learned the hard way that God helped us to work through. And I think by the time I left, we were at, a, at around 50 members. Wow, that's um, unbelievable, man. That's, what was this? This was in Auburn, Alabama. Shout out oh. to all my Auburn peeps. Cool, man. Uh, so, so just being in that environment... I saw the value of small groups and this, the value of smaller ministries uh, for spiritual growth and spiritual formation. And then, uh, and, and during that time, I had several opportunities to go and intern at other churches and to learn directly from, uh, you know, who I would see as experts in leading small groups and in leading campus ministries. And so not too long ago, I was, I was you know, getting into my teaching ministry online and trying to figure out what I should cover next or what I should do a really deep dive into next. And God really put it on my heart that I needed to share the things that he had taught me about small groups. And I looked and I could find nothing really that was a step-by-step -step process of if you're a new small group leader or if you're looking to get your small group unstuck, like this is what you do. Right. And, and let, let me let me hold on a second because I should have said this in your introduction, which I didn't. Travis <laughs> is a uh, a podcaster. Yes. You literally po post a podcast almost every single day. Correct. And, uh, it's really good, by the way. I've listened to many of them. And, and uh, you do like 10-minute basically podcasts on Christian living, which they're awesome. And your season two started yesterday, right? Like, yes, yesterday. Yeah, so yeah he's on season two of his podcast, the Daily Christian Podcast, Daily Christian, the so Practical it? Christian Podcast, the Practical, practical Christian. Christian Podcast. There you go. So you can find that anywhere that you listen to podcasts if you're interested. And uh, one of the reasons, actually, and again, I should have said this at the, during the introduction. And sorry to interrupt you, but I felt like this was a good spot to <laughs> redeem myself, Travis. That's all right. Uh, one of the reasons why Travis and I know each other is because we're fellow believers in the power of the internet to spread the gospel so that's how we sort of connected for the first time and uh, carry on with your story sorry, to, sorry to interrupt. <laughs> well I, and I think the first time we actually met was at unboxed yes that, that you is were true. you were helping to coordinate the unbox conference which is my favorite church conference I've ever been to um, I'm 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 a sucker for deep intellectual thinking <laughs> Uh, so am I. So am I. <laughs> and so, uh, so that was fun. But yeah, so, uh, so small group leader secrets uh, originally started as an online course. So I put out feelers and I said, "All right, I'm putting together a free workshop series for anyone that's interested." Um, 
and I had about 30 people sign up to do this eight-week eight workshop series, and every single oh, wow. week would be a lesson, um, and, e and it was each step of the process. Okay, this is how you start. This is, this is the beginning point for your small group, and that's why step one is the most important step. And then we moved to step two and step three all the way to the end where now they had a complete plan of this is how I uh, build and foster growth and activate the members of my small group in order to you know, have a successful small group that's actually growing and actually the, the people are seeing their lives changed. And so that's how it started. And then uh, you know, I just felt that putting it in a book would make it more accessible and more people would be able to benefit from it you know, the goal was never for it to be profitable. <laughs> that was never my goal. <laughs> that was never my intent. Um, so it's been crazy to see that it's it's done so well, right? Um, and and met such a big need. But yeah, so it initially just started as a workshop that I was doing online for free for anyone that wanted to do it. And then I took those principles are what formed the core of the book. Gotcha. And. Basically, you're here to share some of those principles with us. So, so give me some, man. Give, give me some stuff. So, so something that not many people think about when it comes to small groups, and, and really is not, I don't think, common knowledge at all, is that when you first start out, you have to have a clear understanding of why you exist. Okay. So, so why does your small group exist? And the answer can't just be, well, because we should have them. Because that's not a reason for people to become invested in something. Right. Right. And so, so at the outset, or if you're trying to hit a reset button in your small group, uh, you have to have a clear objective. You have to have a clearly stated reason for, for being there. And everyone needs to be on the same page about it. So in the first chapter of the book, I walk through why it's so important to have everybody on the same page. And that's because if you've ever been a part of a small group and you try and do something, chances are only a fraction of the people will actually be like, oh yeah, I'm on board, this is exactly why I'm here. Right, right. Everyone else is like, that's not why I'm here. I'm here because there's a potluck and I'm hungry. <laughs> like that's why I'm at the small group meeting. I'm here for the food. I could, I could go without the Bible. I'm here for, or I'm here for the conversations. Right. Or I'm here for the relationships. Or I'm here for the growth. Or if you have an outreach focused small group, I'm here to help my friends become Christians. But chances are if you have 10 people coming to your group they're going for 10 different reasons right and so if that's the case it's going to be close to impossible to actually enable change in them as a leader because you're approaching it from one perspective that this is why i'm showing up to small group but if none of the other people are bought into that vision then you're not going to get very far right and i also you know it's interesting you mentioned that because i also think that there's leaders who don't know why they're showing up to, to, to the small group in the first place. Like, there's people that are leading small groups just because they were asked, uh, but they don't really know, other than because they were asked to lead, they don't really understand why they're there. So do you talk about in the book, like, what are some good whys or what should be the whys? Yeah, so so in, in the book, I talk about creating an like a clearly stated objective, which is a statement. It's something that you can tell people, that people can read, that you can write down, and say this is what the group is about. And it starts with identifying who you're trying to help. So ironically, having a small group that's open and available to everyone is probably the least effective way to have a good small group. <laughs> because inevitably, you're gonna get people with all kinds of different issues and problems and needs and in different places in life. And so you're not going to be able to have an equal impact on everyone in the group. Some people are going to be more fed than others. And so before you even start, you have to figure out who am I trying to serve? Am I trying to serve single men that are wrestling with their purity? Am I trying to serve young families? Am I trying to serve people in a particular region geographically? Like, who are the people that I'm trying to help? And then once you have a clear understanding of who you're trying to help, then you can start to identify, well, what are the problems that they're facing? What are the struggles that they're going through? What are the things that they need help with? And once you identify the problem, then you can start coming up with solutions. But solutions is number three. 
Gotcha. Too often, small group leaders start at solutions. It's like, well, people should grow, and so let me do Bible discussions. Right. But unless you can tailor it specifically to who you're trying to help and directly trying to address a problem that they have, your solution is not going to be nearly as effective, if it's effective at all. And so just going through that process of, this is who I'm here to help, this is the problem we're addressing in this small group, and this is how we're going to address that problem to help people actually see growth in their life, that's when you can start to make measurable progress because now whenever someone comes into your group, they know why they're there. They know what the purpose of the group is. They know why they should show up. It's not just because they need to check a box in their spiritual calendar. It's because they care deeply about addressing that problem in their life, and they're invested in grow, growing and seeing the outcome, seeing the solution happen for themselves. And they know that you're invested in helping make that happen for them. So they're going to be much more engaged and much more on board whenever they show up. So let me ask you this. Um, so say um, someone is leading a family group currently, right? And they just heard what you said. And they go, oh, man, like, I don't have a why. My group doesn't have a why. People are just showing up because that's what we've been doing for the past two, three years, whatever. So what, and they, and now they just heard what you said and they realize like, oh man, like I need to have a why, I need to sort of rewire this whole thing to be different. Like, how would you, like, what would you tell that person? Like, how, what, what would you tell them? Like, how do you, how do you press reset? Like, how do, how do you go about that? So I think it's important to, ex if you're going to hit reset on your small group, you have to be willing to accept that some people will, will leave. Hmm. Like, you just have to accept that. If you're going to move in a different direction that's different than what people have come to expect, even if you have great intentions, some people will leave, and that's okay. Because that new direction is for not, everybody. It, it's not for everybody, right? right. And so, so you have to get over the anxiety of if my small group shrinks that I've made a mistake. Because you're not trying to build the biggest small group or trying to maintain the size of your small group. The, really, the thing that you should measure is, am I making a measurable impact in the people that are a part of my small group? Gotcha. So if your group goes from 15 to 7, but those 7 people start doing really well, that's successful. right? That's a successful small group versus a group of 15 that isn't doing anything. Right. And then what I would do is the next time you get with your small group, say, hey, guys, you know, I've loved getting together. I love that we have this small group. And I see the potential for us to really grow as a part of being in this small group. And I think it would really help us to identify what we want to grow in as a group. So you have it as a discussion. You know, what are the problems that we're facing? What are the things that we're wrestling with? What are, what are the struggles that we have on a daily basis that we can rally around, unite around, say, yeah, we want to tackle this in our lives collectively? And then you as the leader say, awesome, so let's reorient our group to address those problems. Let's talk about how we can grow in those areas, in our lives, in our relationship with God, in our marriages, in our relationships with others. And so you, you bring the group into the process of coming up with your objective, of coming up with your, your mission statement in a sense. And then once everyone has been a part of that conversation, Everyone's on track. Everybody is on the same page that, okay, this is the new direction for the small group, and we all understand where this train is going. So that's how I would do it if you already have a small group and you want to pivot and take the group in a different direction. Gotcha. Well, let me ask you this, and um, I'm actually, this is very much a personal question because I lead a small group, and I started leading it recently, and... Uh, Uh, and, and it's interesting because I've been thinking a lot about, so like I sort of inherited this group and up until now we've sort of, uh, and this is usually when, whenever my wife and I are sort of tasked with a new leadership, whatever, right? Usually our, our first, uh, our first order of business is to get to know everybody, to build some relationships and all that stuff. And then we sort of begin to to address some of the things it's, and it's, I'm glad we're having this conversation because actually I've been thinking a lot about like, you know, what does this group exist? Like, what is it that we're really trying to do? And sort of along with that, um, 
I've been on this soapbox, man. And, you know, if, if people have heard our other Ether talks, they've heard me talk about this. Um, for a myriad of reasons, uh, I've been having a lot of conversations about both the kingdom of God and the Holy Spirit. And I think one of the things um, that leaders don't think enough about is the whole idea that some way, somehow, we need to be able to help people um, really bring the best of the spirit in them is the best way I can put it. And, and, and I think like a small group is a perfect setting for that because like you can really help people, especially in the context of the small group, like, hey, you have a gift of the spirit that is meant to help the people of God. And one of the best settings to express that gift is a smaller group, right? Like how, how in your expertise, uh, what is the best way to sort of bring, I guess, the best out of people, especially in the context of the small group? Because I do feel that a lot of people sort of come to listen to the guy in charge, when in reality that it should also be coming to to give and help others grow so how would you how would you do that so so i think the holy spirit's at work in this conversation because <laughs> that's what i talk about in chapter three <laughs> um so so yeah so i've been uh equally fascinated with the idea that the holy you know not just that we are the body of christ and that every single person is indispensable as a member of the body but that each person has a role. Right. And that's kind of where it stops in a lot of sermons about it. It's like, you're important. Great. <laughs> right. What do I do now? <laughs> um, how important? Why am I important? Why right. am I essential? What role am I supposed to take? And so, so I really started to dive deep into studying out spiritual gifts in the New Testament. So for anyone who's listening that isn't, familiar with spiritual gifts, there are certain character traits and key uh, strengths that are identified in the New Testament as being given to us by the Holy Spirit to build up the church. Like, that's the purpose of these gifts. It's not so you can go and, you know, break the four-minute mile. Right. Th these are specific gifts that the Holy Spirit distributes to believers to build up the body of Christ. And so... What I do in the book is I, I first kind of teach on what spiritual gifts are and what they aren't, the purpose of them, and then actually walk people through all the spiritual gifts that are identified in the New Testament and the, the verses where they're mentioned so people can right. go and study it out for themselves. And then I came up with a process of helping someone walk through all the possible gifts to identify what's their primary one, what's the one that they feel the Holy Spirit has given them. And so what's really powerful about that is once you are able to identify, okay, this is my thing. This is how God created me to serve others. This is how God wants me to invest in the kingdom of God. Right. Now you feel like you have the tools and the confidence to actually lean into that. So once you have clarity about what your role should be, not just in a sense of, well, the small group needs this role to be filled, so I guess I'll do it but that this is something that God explicitly wants me to do, that now gives you the confidence to lean into that and say, how can I use that gift to invest in the people in my small group, right? How can I use my gift of, of teaching to invest in the people in my small group? How can I use my gift of encouragement or hospitality or knowledge to invest in the members of my small group? That's when you can start to piece together that this is where we're going. This is our objective. Now, how do you use your gift to help us get there? And people can start to see the impact that they're having and how they are personally contributing to the group growing. And that's where you really start to unlock a lot of engagement, which is really the kryptonite of so many small group leaders is that it's all on them right. to make everything happen. And so when you give the people in your group the clarity of, this is what God wants you to do to help the group grow. How can you use that gift or that talent 
to help us get to our objective. Right. That's that's really the sweet spot. Yeah, and you know, I think it's super important, man, because I feel like there's so many people who come to church to be spectators. And I think church, the way God wants church to happen, isn't a, a spectator sport. You know what I mean? Like, he wants people to engage. I think, um, you know, you read uh, the book of Acts, and I was having this conversation with somebody, somebody else. There's so many, like, nameless people in the book of Acts who go places and, uh, and start churches and preach and do all this stuff. And they're just, like, total unknowns, just people who, like, had the spirit and felt like they needed to meet a need, and and they just took, they just, you know, did it. And I think in many ways, I think, and, and again, like, I feel like the small group is such a powerful tool to, in, in many ways, like, safely allow somebody to even, like, explore that, you know what I mean? Like, if you are going to figure out what, what spirit what the what gift of the spirit you have a the small group is a perfect place to for you to find that at find that out and i think the, a small group is also the perfect setting for you to even begin to express that gift you know what i mean and i think and again like i feel like even in the group that we're leading like that's something that i really want to do like i really want to help people to figure out like man like this this is what what i'm supposed to be doing you know what i mean and i think that's that's super important um, so man, give me give me more stuff. This is good. This is good. Give me, give me more. <laughs> so, so I'm trying to think of what would be most helpful. So, so at the very beginning of the book, in the introduction, I kind of give a disclaimer. Um, because there's no way that you can cover everything. There's no way that you could cover every right. single possible scenario in a small group. And so instead, what I tried to do, and I think this is a healthy way of looking at it from a small group leader's perspective, is there's there's a, an observation of nature called the Pareto Principle. Are you familiar with the Pareto Principle or the 80-20 no. rule? Yes, the 80-20 rule, I do. Yeah, yeah. So, so it originated from this guy named Pareto who observed that 80% of the real estate in a certain city in Italy was owned by 20% of the population. And he started to see this ratio pop up over and over again. So you can even observe it in like the heights of trees in the forest. You can observe it in the size of metropolitan cities. Huh. You, you can observe it even in the number of people that serve in the church. That around 20% of the members of the church are going to do 80% of the work. And it's wow. just kind of how it works out. But you can apply that principle to leadership as well in a way that's emotionally healthy for the leader. Because often you spend most of your time addressing problems. Right. I'm just fixing things instead of trying to move people forward. And so instead of having a reactive leadership style, having a proactive leadership mindset. So, so just trying to figure out what's the 20% of investment that I need to make in my small group that's going to get me 80% of the way to my end goal. Ah, that's clever. And, and so it's it's not it's not you know uh, trying to gamify or hack being a Christian right because right? we're still talking about relationships we're still talking about loving people unconditionally but it's what are the twenty percent of the things I need to focus on as a leader to help my group get eighty percent of the way to a perfect group and so that's really what the book goes into is if you do these seven things really well everything else will take care of itself. Um, and so, so things like having a clear objective, that's going to help you so much as a leader because you're not having to fight with getting people on the same page about why they're showing up. Right. And, and helping people identify what their gift is and giving them the opportunity to use it in the group is going to help them be more engaged so it's not all on you. So everything that I break down in the book is from the perspective of how does this make the job of leading simpler and less stressful right? and actually leads to the change you want to see. Because I think a mistake that I made as a young leader was thinking that my effectiveness was a reflection of my work ethic. That if I worked really hard, I was a good leader, even if I wasn't helping anyone. Right. Because that's something that I 
felt like I had control over. Well, I can control how much time I spend with people. I can control how much time I spend fiddling, getting every single point in my discussion absolutely perfect. You know, I can, I can spend a lot of time leading my small group, but is that actually going to help me get to where I want it to go? Now, if the answer is no, then you've got to figure out what, what should I be investing my time in to not only make my leadership sustainable so I don't burn out and say, you know what, I quit, I can't do it anymore, somebody else lead the group. But then it also leads to more growth than you had otherwise. Well, let me ask you this. One of the mistakes that a lot of leaders do make is what you're talking about, like sort of putting too much on themselves and not really understanding um, that there ought to be I guess a line, not necessarily of like, and I don't mean this with a bad attitude, but like certain things that you just shouldn't do just because it's an, it's an issue of effectiveness, right? And there's certain things that you should certainly like allow other people to do. And so well, I guess I have a, a, a two, two point question. One of them is like, what would you say are those things? Like, what would you say are the, because uh, everybody talks about delegation. Right. And even though I'm a believer in delegation, I feel like uh, one of the mistakes that people can do is, is delegate too much in the sense that you'll delegate even what like people will delegate even what they're really good at doing. They'll let somebody else do when they should be doing that thing that they really are really good at doing. Um, and so, like, I guess what in your opinion are the things that you should be delegating and I guess how would you go about that so so here's a trap that most leaders don't even recognize that they're in when it comes to delegating they're concerned more with the immediate quality of whatever it is that they're delegating over the growth of the person they're delegating it to gotcha so, so let's say that you decide, you know what, I want to give brother so-and-so a chance to lead the discussion. And so you, you say, all right, this is your week, man. If you have any questions, let me know. And he comes in, and it's, it's awful. It's the worst discussion you've ever had, <laughs> right? Your immediate reaction is typically, all right, he's not leading any more he's discussions. He's not doing it again, right, right, right. Right. That will happen every time you delegate something. They will not do it as well as you can because they haven't had the practice. They haven't been given the opportunities. And so when you start delegating, you have to accept that you can't micromanage the outcome. You can it's only... going to suck. Yeah, it, it's going to be terrible at first. <laughs> but so were you when you first right. started, right? So you have to give people the ability to learn and to grow. And there's, there is definitely a good and bad way to delegate, you know, and I can dive a little bit into that. Um, but you just have to accept, like at the beginning where we talked about, you have to accept that your group might get smaller. You have to accept that your group might get worse <laughs> at first. Right, right, when you delegate. And that's totally, that's a part of the process. You have to see this the way that God sees it, right? God doesn't view our relationship to him in these snapshots in time. He sees everything as a process. That He, he allows our stories to play out over decades. Right. Right? So it's not that's just... That's a good point. It's yeah. not just what have you done for me lately. It's who am I trying to help you become over the next 50 years? And so as a leader, we're not thinking in terms of 50 years, but over the next calendar year, let's say for the next 12 months, I want to help someone become a great Bible discussion leader. So right. that way I don't have to do every discussion. Are you willing to invest 12 months in that process to get them to the point where you can very confidently hand off a discussion to them? Is that an investment you're willing to make to help your small group get better? So you have to take a step back and be willing to, to let the quality of the group suffer. But again, if everyone's on the same page about why they're there and everyone understands that this person that's leading the discussion is trying to use their gifts, then they're gotcha. gonna be so supportive of that person that it won't even matter that the discussion was awful. <laughs> the, the only thing that will matter is that they see that everyone is invested in the outcome and the growth of the group, and they're going to be fed by that more than a perfect discussion by the leader. Does that does that make sense? Yes. No, that, and you know, it's interesting because I, I do think 
And I think this goes for a lot of things. And I think even uh, personally, it's something that I have, I've had to battle a lot personally in the past uh, year or so because, um, you know, we started Ether and we've been making videos and podcasts and all that stuff. And we we're so I think we we are we are our our culture is so results oriented that patience is really difficult, man. And and I think to to be doing uh, stuff on social media and to be creating digital content and sort of seeing slowly your audience grow and slowly your views grow, dude. Like that process is so. Uh, challenging that you have to make peace with the fact that it's going to take time. And you also, the, the, <laughs> I remember the first time I saw myself on video, like when I was editing my own video, I thought it was the most horrible. Like it took me a week to edit my first video, not because I'm a slow editor, but because it was such a horrible, cringe worthy experience to look at me on screen. That I was just like, man, I cannot be this bad. And I've gotten better, right? But, like, it was just like, and I had to make peace with, like, you know what? At the beginning, this is not going to be as good as I have it in my mind. Like, even my intention is for this to be good. And I'm going to have to be at peace with the fact that it's not as good as I, I even want it to be. And I think even for, for small groups, as you're saying, like, I think you have to have the, the long term in mind. And I think that's not something that A, we're good at, and B, uh, culturally, as a as an American society, and I think even as, depending on the church that you're a part of, I think even like in our culture, in our church culture, like we don't necessarily think long term. We're, it's very, it's a lot easier to sort of fall in love with the immediate results. And I love the point that you made that God sort of like is invested in us in the long term because, dude, he totally is. And I think, and I also think like, you know, I love the point that you made about like the group being on the same page that the group is about growth and that that goes for everyone in the group. You know what I mean? Like that goes for like the person that uh like you know, even I think even like if you put somebody in charge of the food, for example. Hey, like you're gonna be in charge of the food this week. I think there's a possibility that we're gonna have horrible snacks. And I think but I think if everybody's on the same page of like, hey, we're all growing here, then people will be a lot more willing to accept that. And I think that's, dude, that, that is a great point. And let me transition into this because I think you brought it up. And I think this is uh, for as much as patience plays a part of this, right? And uh, for those of you listening, Travis, you're, you're an engineer, right? Like that is, that is your profession. That was my profession. That was that my was profession. Your profession. Until a couple months ago. No, I'm actually a professional content creator now. I create. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah. That's pretty cool. So I, I, I write and produce podcasts for a uh, podcast hosting company now. That's awesome, man. And so, but y your background is an engineer, and I think it shows because you sort of try to break down the processes. Oh, that's yeah. That's very much an engineer move. Uh, <laughs> but I'm sure you've thought about this, and I'm sure it's in your book, but like, what, what do you. Um, <laughs> Speaking of discussion and group discussion, which is, I think, uh, a crucial element to every small group, what do you think are the elements of a good small group discussion or an engaging one or, or sort of like something that is really going to not only help the people that are there but really encourage people to bring other people to them? So, so, so here's something that I don't think anyone would really – think of naturally most of the time when you're leading a small group discussion you have like several things that you want to communicate or several things you want to get off your chest or you know like I've been thinking about this all week and so all seven of my quiet times are making it into this discussion <laughs> if you actually want people to remember your discussion you should just say one thing really well so the the temptation is I need to fill up an hour of discussion how do I right. do that I'm gonna read eight scriptures but an hour after they leave your small group, they no one no one remembers anything that you talked about. Not 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 that they only remember certain things. They don't remember anything. And so it's important when you start crafting a discussion that there's one thing you're trying to communicate really well. And that you have the discipline 
to stay focused on one passage that communicates that one thing really well. So instead of jumping around and having all these different people read different scriptures, read one passage and have one takeaway. If you can do that for 40 weeks out of the year, that's going to be so much more effective than if you communicated five points for 40 weeks and nobody remembered anything. Right, right, right. They're just going to get really good at, you know, switching between verses in their Bible app. And so, so you have to start with being disciplined as a leader that this isn't an opportunity for me to show off that I know a lot of Bible. And this isn't an opportunity for me to just spiritually vomit on my small group with all the things I've been learning. But to be really intentional about when I put a discussion together, I'm trying to help people grow. And the best way to do that is to focus on one thing that they can take away, that they can implement, and they understand the biblical foundation for the idea by focusing on one passage or one scripture. That's going to help your small group instead of feeling like you did a good job because you covered five points in an hour. Dude, I'm totally on board with you about this whole idea of like, talk about one thing. And um, let me, <laughs> uh, and you you may be able to help me. This has been very helpful for me. I don't care about the people who are listening. It's been helpful for me, people. <laughs> and this is, to be honest with you, this is the part of, of, uh, of small group interactions that I have the hardest time with. Because I'm really good at boiling things down to like one one thing. Like like th let's talk about one thing. And uh, but let me tell you the part that I have a hard time with coming up with questions for discussion. Yeah. yeah. Is something that I constantly dread because I'm like well, I'm going to talk about this and I'm going to present it to you, but I don't know what kind of question I'm going to ask that's going to make you talk about it in an engaging way. So help me out, like say I'm teaching whatever, like what are some good principles to come up with good questions for the discussion? So here's a really easy one. Don't create questions that have one word answers. Um, so regardless of where you're heading, if you want it to be a discussion, don't phrase your question in a way that could be answered as a yes or a no, right? So for instance, should you read your Bible? Right. <laughs> yes or no. Yes. That's it, right? But that is a question that I've heard in a Bible discussion. Should you read your Bible? <laughs> yes. All right, I guess I'm going to question two. Here's a better way to, answer, to ask that question. Why is reading your Bible important? Just by changing the structure of the question. It's the same question. Right. But just by changing the structure of the question, it forces people to explain their thoughts. It forces people to tell a story about how that question resonates in their life. And once you do that, then the first person that answers the question is going to elicit a response from the second person who's like, oh, I want to piggyback on that because I also think about it that way. And then now you have people giving and taking and sharing their experiences, sharing the things that they've learned. And all you did was ask a question that couldn't be answered in one word. So I think that's probably the, the easiest fix right off the bat is just make sure people can't answer the questions in a single word. And then the other thing, so, so if you identify the one thing that you're trying to communicate with your lesson, like this is the main takeaway, this is what I want to drive home, then the passage that you choose needs to, to have that same emphasis right right so don't just don't just choose a passage that has the magic words in the right order that you need <laughs> to justify your point right you know that's 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 eisegesis that's not what you want to do what you want to do is say okay is there a story in the bible where one of the characters learns this lesson is there a parable that jesus tells that illustrates this point is there something in the bible that is teaching a similar thing, and that becomes the thing you unpack. It's not about how do I get people to my points. It's helping people walk through a story in the Bible, knowing in your minds that where you're going is the point. And at the end, you say, guys, this has been a fantastic discussion. And really the main thing that I want everyone to take away from is when we were reading this story, 
this was the thing that kept coming up over and over, and this is the lesson God has for us, so this is the point, right? So you sum it up at the end, but it's a discussion about the passage, not a discussion about your point. And if you do that, then walking through the passage, walking through the scriptures, should create your questions, right? Because the question is not, how do I get to the point? It's, why did this person say this? Right. Why does this stick out to you? What is wrong with this story? You know, and having people discuss the passage itself, and that discussion leads people to the point, instead of trying to reverse engineer, what are the perfect questions I can ask that will get people on this train of thought that I have? Right. Uh, you know, I, I browsed through, um, through your book a little bit, and I know that uh, in one of the parts of it, you talk about uh, co-leadership. Uh, and I do think that that's a super important part of a, of a small group. I, I do feel personally like that one of the goals of the small group should be to stay small and grow. And what that implies is that at some point, like, you're going to have a group that's big enough to split. And somebody's going to have to take over that, that, that uh, shoot off of the group. So uh, talk me through a little bit of, I guess, your, your process in choosing and training and, I guess, gradually handing responsibility over to a co-leader. Like, how do you go through all of that? So, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit this from the perspective that there isn't a clear choice. Okay. I think often leaders think that if I'm going to have a co-leader, it needs to be obvious that they're like leadership material. Right, right. Well, well, let me. I'll come back to this because this is this this. You just you just struck something in me. Carry <laughs> on. I, I do think we. I do want to come back to that. Go ahead. So you don't need to be a minister in the making to know how to lead an effective small group and have an impact on people. All right. So let's just dispel that myth right away. Anyone with the Holy Spirit living inside of them can lead other people. Right? Just like any one of us has the capacity to make a disciple. It's, right. the same, it's the same spirit working in our lives. So if you're a leader and there's not an obvious choice, like this is the person that is going to lead the next small group, then you ask people, who wants to learn how to lead a small group? Who wants to learn how to do this? Who's interested? You don't have to sign up to lead a small group right now. You just have to express, you know what, I would be interested and I'd be willing to invest the time to learn from you. And whether I lead a small group or not, those are skills I can take with me. And, and you want to frame it that way, right? So it's not who's going to sign up for more responsibility or who's going to sign up to lead something in six months. Because that would be really overwhelming to someone who's like not naturally inclined to be a leader. Right, right, right. So you make it really easy to say yes. But you also set the expectation at the beginning that, I'm going to be training you. Like, I'm going to be investing in you. This is going to be a relationship that we have. And so it's not like I'm giving you, you know, handing you a book to read. Like, this is a give and take. And I need you to be invested in learning from me. So, so once someone says, you know what? I'm interested in becoming a leader. I'm interested in learning how to do this, even if I never become a small group leader. So at that point, you just copy what Jesus did. So that's, that's what I love about Jesus' ministry <laughs> Is, is if you know where to look, you can find this leadership training plan in the New Testament, in the book of Mark, ironically. So in, uh, in my book, what I do is, is kind of break down the three steps that Jesus took with his apostles okay. to, to get them ready to lead the church after he left. Kind of a big deal, right? right. He's, he's trusting his bride, his church, with these, tell, these 12 rascals, right? So the first thing he does after they sign up to be a part of his ministry, right? He says, follow me. They have to decide to follow him, right? So they're already invested. They're following him around. If you read the book of Mark, how long do you think it is before Jesus asks the apostles to do anything? Where, where is that in the book of Mark? Where is the first time where Jesus asked the apostles to do something? The first time that Jesus tasks the apostles with doing anything, you're almost halfway through the book of Mark. Correct, yes. So the first time he sends them out and says, this is what I want you to do. Right. They've already been walking with him, seeing him do everything that he's about to ask them to do. 
So the first step in training a leader is demonstrating the thing you were trying to teach them. So when you put a discussion together, you have a conversation about it. Say, hey, I'm putting this discussion together. This is what I'm trying to communicate. This is why I chose this scripture. Um, do you have any questions? Are there any scriptures that you think about when you think about this idea? You know, these are how I put questions together. So you are living out what it means to be a small group leader and taking them along the journey. So before you ask them to do anything, they've already seen you do it multiple times. You know, it's interesting you mentioned that because I do think, um, again, we're, man, like we're impatient, man. Like we're trying to get people who have very little experience to do something that they've maybe not even observed. And I think that's, that's an important part of it. Um, and I did want to get back to one of the things that you mentioned at the beginning, because <laughs> I think it's hilarious, man. Like I've gone to a lot of, uh, <laughs> a lot of leadership meetings. And one of the things that always strikes me as very odd is that invariably you have a room filled with mostly the same person. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And and I do think that in and I in I don't mean to sound uh, uh, like I'm railing here because I'm not. And I, and I do think. And for those of you who are listening, I'm, I'm just seriously throwing this out there as a point of consideration because I feel like, to a certain degree, this this can hurt us, as 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 the kingdom, right? And it's something that that even like if you read through the Bible, it's a mistake that people have historically made all, always, right? In that there are things that we look for as people in leaders that are just kind of like we tend to gravitate towards the the more uh, uh, charismatic, handsome, sort of driven people, and we go like, oh, that guy is my next leader. And that's not even like how God picks them, you know what I mean? Like when you, when you look through the Bible, it's literally a rainbow of personalities, the people that God picks to do things, you know what I mean? Like. David is one type of person, and Peter's one type of person, and Gideon's one type of person. Jonah just straight up had a bad attitude, and he still was tasked to do this amazing thing. And the book of Jonah ends, and he still has a bad attitude. And then, but and what basically what I'm saying is that you know we we would God picks people that we would never pick, uh, and He picks them. And I and I do think that one of the uh, one of the mistakes that we make is to do the same mistake that we we sort of like there's these things that we sort of universally understand as as this is what makes a good leader and it's not necessarily that person that is going to be a good leader and i think even though what you were bringing up of like even asking who wants to do this like i imagine uh and i've been surprised many times because i've i've done that before um and I've done it more as an experiment than an actual practice, if you will. But now that you mention it and now that we're having this conversation, I think it needs to be sort of the, the first step. But, you know, I, it, it always surprised me that if you ask that question, like a lot of times the people who you wouldn't expect, like the shy, quiet, doesn't really engage in a way, right? will say like hey i want to do it and i think a lot of times people's reaction is like well like you don't even talk to people like why are you going to do this you know what i mean and and I, and I do think that god puts things in people's hearts that are who are totally surprised and it come from a very unexpected place and the thing is that we just never know god looks at the things that we don't look at and i think that we sort of need to make peace with that and so yeah man like i thought that was a really good point you made is there we're, anything we're <laughs> any any more knowledge you want to drop on us? Any anything else on the book you want to sort of talk about? <laughs> so, well, I can I can finish out the like how I would delegate or how I would raise up a co-leader. Go ahead. So, so first you have to demonstrate and live out what you're expecting them to do. They have to see you do it first. Cuz that's going to give them confidence when you ask them to do it. Oh, well, I've already seen this 3 or 4 times. So I feel like I have the confidence that I can do it. That's so big when you're raising someone up to give them the self-esteem that, yeah, I am capable. 
I don't have to be at his or her level in order to be an adequate leader. Like, this is a process. I understand I'm a part of the process. And when you ask me to do something, it's because you know I can do it. And I've already seen you do it multiple times. And so I feel empowered to do it. Like, that's what's so crazy to me about Jesus, is if you look at when he sends the apostles out for the first time, everything that he asks them to do, he has already demonstrated earlier in the book of Mark. Mm. So he's not asking them to do anything new, anything unexpected, anything he hasn't prepared them for. He's invested in them to the point where he feels confident that they can be successful. And he's set them up for success by giving them that model and that example. And then once you actually do kind of unleash them a little bit, give them an opportunity to lead a discussion, give them an opportunity to plan the meal, give them an opportunity to get with someone one-on-one, then you do exactly what Jesus did, which is after they come back, you have a huddle and you talk about it. You ask them, how did it go? Right. Were, were there any areas that you felt uncomfortable with? Were there any areas that you had questions about still? Um, you know, do you want some feedback on how your discussion went? Like, so you, you follow up and you reinforce that this is an investment, but I do want you to feel like, like you can come to me and talk to me and I'm here to help you grow. I'm not expecting you to be perfect. I'm just expecting you to continue to be invested in your own growth. And so having that as a dialogue, a constant dialogue, that whenever I ask you to do something, it's because you've already seen me do it. And then after you do it, we're going to circle up and we're going to talk about it. So the next time you know you can make it better. That's where you start getting into a dynamic where they actually start growing and improving because it's a constant dialogue, a constant give and take with the person you're training up. Mm. And they see that they are making progress. And that's going to inspire them to continue to want to invest because they see that it's working, that they're actually able to do things they didn't know that they could do before. And then the last part of the process, once you've spent time in this kind of dialogue setting where you're giving them responsibility and then training them up on how to be more effective, you have to start letting go of certain responsibilities in the group. right? So it might be good for you to not lead a discussion for a while and to say, you know what, you've demonstrated that you are, you can lead a discussion, everyone gets something out of it, you feel confident doing it, so you know, for the foreseeable future, why don't you just plan on doing all the discussions? And that person's gonna feel so trusted, that person's right. gonna feel so believed in because they still see you as kind of the quote unquote expert when it comes to small group leadership. And so when you say, I trust you with the small group. I trust you to lead the small group. Like that means so much to someone. Mm. And so you, you consistently give them more and more of the leadership responsibility in the group, right? So, okay, we're going to decide on a new book to study out. You get to choose the book and come up with why we should do that book. And you get to pitch to the small group because you've seen me do it three times. Now it's your turn. So you consistently give them more and more of the group until you're not leading the group at all. I think that's the part that's really hard for leaders is when you're trying to really raise someone up to be successful as a leader, you have to be able to get to the point where you're not even doing the leadership anymore. You're just kind of their co-pilot. Like, hey, I'm here if you need me. You know, if I see something, if I want to encourage you about something, I'll definitely let you know. But this is your group. Like, I'm still here. I'm still a resource. I'm still here for you. But this is now your group. And you've demonstrated that you're capable of leading this group effectively. And then once you get to that point and you spend a couple weeks, a couple months there where the other person is leading the group, that's when you get to divide your leadership spoils and one of you goes and leads another group. Because that's the last thing I say in the book is leadership is a rare commodity in the church. Effective leadership is desperately needed. And so the temptation is I have another leader now I've got, I've got it made. Like this is the best small group situation ever. I don't, I don't have to do There's everything. There's two of me. And so, so the temptation is I want to hold on to this person because it's going to make my job easier. Right. I can kind of set my cruise control spiritually and my group's going to do well. But there are other groups in your, in your church that need help. There are other groups in your church that need leadership. And so once you get to the point where you have two really strong, really capable leaders in the group, one of you should leave. 
And it's not because you don't love the people in the group. It's not because you're not invested in the relationships. Right. But because you're invested in the body of Christ, not your small group. So, so thinking about it from a big picture perspective, how do we multiply our gifts and our talents and our abilities to help the church grow for God's glory, not help my small group be awesome for my glory? Right. That's the paradigm shift is how can I, you know, now that I can trust my group to this person and I can leave, or how can I set them up for success to start their own small group? That's, that's where you've really been successful in raising up a leader. That's awesome. Um, you know, it's interesting because even as you're talking, like that's a process. I think that um, that's exciting. You know what I mean? Like I think, um, I think one of the, in my experience and having conversations with people who lead small groups, Dude, leading a small group can get to a place where it's just like dreadful. Like it's not enjoyable, it's not fulfilling. Like you're doing it because out of like obligation, but not because like you really enjoy it. And a lot of the things that that you've talked about, and I hope and I pray, man, that people who lead small groups and maybe that person who's on the brink of going like, I don't want to do this anymore listens to this podcast and feels like super encouraged a and let me say that you're not alone sir or madam <laughs> who's listening and in, in desperation to this podcast because you feel like you need help you're not alone uh and dude i'm so grateful that that you sort of come up with this resource to really help people man like i feel like if people uh scott kirkpatrick who's a guy that leads the church here in columbia says um constantly says this and i believe it that, that the church lives and dies with leadership. And like you said, it, it is such a such a great commodity and leadership is such an important thing in the church. And I think the small group, um, you know, I think the, the small group can be one of two things. Like it can be just what we do because it's what we decided to do, right? And it can be sort of like the thing that we do because that's what we do. Or it can be like this super engaging, super fruitful, super fulfilling thing. And I think whether we want to um, marry ourselves to the reality that a lot of the success of the small group really depends on the leader. And I think there's some good and some bad to that. But I think whether we like that fact or not. It just, it is what it is. It's the reality of things. And I think if you are a small group leader, you need to understand that there are things that you need to learn and there's things that you yourself need to grow in for your group to grow. And I think the fact that you've come up with this book, man, and even this discussion, I think it's been, it's been awesome. And I think it's been, uh, it's been very refreshing. Because again, like I'm leading a small group and I'm enjoying it and I love doing that. And I think, you know, I think uh, there's so many things, man, and I think this goes for so many things in life that I love when some, when education for anything, uh, whenever you, whenever somebody teaches you something and it seems like such a good insight, but at the same time, like such an obvious one. And I'm, and I think like that's the best kind of learning because it's not overwhelming. And in many ways, everything that we've talked about is that where like where you're talking about something that is simple, and that if anybody who sort of, and I'm not saying in the sense that that what you've come up with isn't good because it's great, but I think the simplicity of it, and sort of like the ease of being able to embrace it, is what makes it really good. And I think it's a great testament. Really, to your engineering mind, man. That you, because I do think that that sort of making things simple is a lot. A, it's a lot harder than to, to do than what people think, because you really need to sort of take the essence of something and boil it down to a delicious bite. Uh, and dude, like I think everything that we've talked about up until now is is very much that. And so, I really want to thank you for being on. I think this has been awesome. Uh, I did want to give you an opportunity to sort of plug all of the stuff that you do. So. Go ahead, man. Tell the people uh, all of the things that you're involved in. So if you want to get a good snapshot of everything I'm up to, uh, my website's going to be the best place to go. 
It's just unlockyourgifts.org or unlockyourgifts.com. They'll both go to the same place. And, and in there, I have some free resources, some PDFs you can download. Um, for the leaders listening, I have a template, a Bible discussion template that you can download. That's the same one that I use for all my discussions. Um, and so that's really helpful. You can just go and download that for free from that website. Um, you can look at all three of my podcasts that I have. And, and I have some online courses for there, on there as well for people that are looking to go a little bit deeper in a couple subjects. So unlockyourgifts.org is going to be the best place to find everything. And then my daily podcast is just the Practical Christian Podcast. And you can find that anywhere that you, anywhere that you would listen to podcasts. Awesome. Well, once again, Travis, thank you so much for being on. Uh, I really appreciate this. And uh, this, was, this was a great discussion, man. And thank you so much for being on. Uh, for those of you who are listening, thank you so much for listening. We do want to remind you that this is a crowdfunded effort. And so if you want to support what we do and enrich uh, your biblical life, uh, you can do so by going to uh, patreon.com forward slash ethermmc. And uh, thank you so much for listening. And we'll catch you on the next one. Bye.